This SoFi podcast was recorded at an earlier date. Some material may be outdated and or mentioned under different circumstances. Consult your local health authorities for the latest on COVID-19. Back to you is up next, but first take a listen to this other fine OPI show. Coming up on the next episode of the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, Aston Martin starts production of some real Goldfinger DB5s, plus another one of our famous lists. I'm Mark Vernon. Join me and Lou Costable for these stories and more on the Car Guys Report, a Tony Lasano podcast, and OPI production on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Hold your question. Hold your question one second. Years ago, a guy called my manager, and I'm I'm embarrassed with this, uh, but I have to tell you the truth. A guy said, a guy from Canada said, I've got to interview your client, Tom Dreesen, and can you give me some things that would get him excited about conversation? My manager said, ask him how his day went, and then get the hell out of his way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm embarrassed with that. The following is a Tony Lasano podcast, an Opie show on the Radio Misfits podcast network. This is Back to You with Howard Sudbury and Steve Baskerville. Johnny still, Jumpy here, Steve would say, right? I still can't get a word in edgewise. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Just, But these are jumpy times, jumpy times. They are jumpy times, and I'm, talking, I'm just talking to a man in his basement. <laughs> yeah, I've turned into that guy. When people listen to this, they'll go, oh, yeah, he's probably some guy in this basement with a microphone. He's just they'd, some, be, yeah. they'd be correct. They'd be, yeah, right. exactly. You just yeah. described it. Guy in the, he's just a guy. Who is he? I don't know. He's a, he used to be on TV. He's a guy in his basement wearing no pants, talking into a mic. Is all of this conversation supposed to make me feel good? <laughs> that's what wow, I, you really you have a knack for that it makes me feel so uplifted <laughs> it's yeah, a I'm great a, way to start things but I'm you know a what motivational I, speaker yeah you are uh um uh you had to take this on the road because you're uh, you've just uplifted me a great deal now uh, i am excited about today because uh I have. Uh, this is one of the themes that we like a whole lot. We like the world of comedy, and we like um, to treat it like it's the it's the art that it is. So I'm always anxious to learn more about it. Uh, I've dabbled in it. Did I ever tell you about the time that I uh, emceed a comedy night? No. I may have told you about that. No, this was this was a long time ago. It was in Philadelphia. It was in the late '70s, early '80s, and. Um, I was on TV. That was the only saving grace because I was actually on the air. The audience gave me a break because they knew me. Uh, so I didn't have to be hilarious. But uh, I still had some material and it worked fine. And um, but the job was easy because all I had to do is next up, let's hear from the marvelous comedy of so and so. Yeah. And then, OK, let's bring her out now. Here's so and so. So it wasn't that bad. But what I noticed was. Comedians have different ways of prepping. There'd be some folks. Now, there must have been about a dozen people on the bill and some they wanted you to leave total. They wanted you to leave them totally alone. Don't even look at me as they're pacing back and forth like a lion trying to get their act together. Then there'd be other folks who would be just quietly sitting sort of uh, zombie like maybe like a, a, an athlete would be with headphones on listening to music or something you know like sure. they were getting ready to and then there'd be other folks man you'd be in a conversation with them and uh it would be about something totally opposite of what their act would be you'd you'd introduce them five minutes later and boom they go off and do 15 minutes of material just out of the blue and i was always shocked at how different folks prepped and so we both have been looking at this series the comedy store which sort of analyzes comedians and the art and all of that and the guy we got on today is perfect because he's right in the middle of the series he's one of the stars of it wouldn't you say it's oh, a series that runs on it runs on showtime called the comedy store and that's one of the reasons why i'm anxious to talk to him today like you are i'm sure yeah, you recommend, I mean, all your show recommendations are great, and I wasn't on to the comedy store, and you said, you got to watch this thing on Showtime. So uh, there have only been two episodes, and, you know, just to set it up again, the comedy store 
the mecca for comedians in in L.A. Um, it was a pipeline to the Tonight Show for all these legendary comics, and they would just mm-hmm. do anything to get on stage there. And as you said, our guest today um, was all over the first two episodes because he spent a lot of time on stage at the Comedy Store back in the day. And he has a new book out. It is called Still Standing, My Journey from Streets and Saloons to the Stage and Sinatra. And his name is Tom Dreesen. And I'm going to give him a call now, Steve. Do you think he'll answer? <laughs> that would be the perfect way for us to be the butt of this joke. <laughs> it would. That would we be gave, the best bit he's ever done. <laughs> we gave this, what, six, seven minute sort of intro. is beautiful. Yes. And, and will the man answer? I'm going to say he will, but you never know, right? No. So are you are you going to actually oh, dial? Your call uh, cannot be listen. completed as dialed. Please check the number and dial again. One, five, five, two. Oh, you oh my kid. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, oh no. Me. All right. I'm going to let you try it one more again. Hang, hang on. Let me see. <laughs> let me go back to his email with the oh, number. Oh, boy. Here we go. Uh, never mind all that intro, folks. We've got to think of something else to do real quick. I've got that uh, number written down correctly. Let me okay. try that again. All right. <laughs> Here we go. Here, we, Here go. we go. There's that. There's the area code. Ah, boy. Oh, boy. I've never been so anxious hey, in my life. Tell me, tell me more. Uh, about the, when you MC that comedy show, Steve. Well, are you serious? You want me to Here we go. Oh, no, no. Never mind. Never mind. He's got better stories. Let's go. Two rings. Hello. Tom. Uh-huh. <laughs> we got uh-huh. you on our podcast already, Tom. We are rip-roaring and ready to go. This is Steve, and uh, you've already talked to Howard. It's great. To have you with us today. I'm sorry. Who are you guys again? (laughs) (laughs) You know, we're laughing, Tom, because I just called the number a second ago. We got the message that it was disconnected. (laughs) I think you called. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I I reconnected it thinking you guys wouldn't call again. But then again, here you are. (laughs) How are you guys doing? We're doing well. After we gave you this great big build up and then and then. The number you've tried is not in service. Hey, hey, Tom, first things first, man. How are you doing? How are you coping with this uh, virus and the pandemic? And uh, how is life for you right now? Really good. You know, I'm sure you read in the Chicago Tribune that I had the COVID. Um, uh, Rick Hogan wrote a story about it, that I had it. Six weeks ago, I was released from the hospital. But I was, you know, I'm, I'm feeling terrific. I'm back in shape. I'm playing golf. I'm doing, working out. I'm doing all the things that I, that I do. All my strength came back. But I was, uh, like everybody else, you know, wearing a mask and doing all this stuff. But I went to a restaurant with a buddy of mine, uh, uh, James Darren. I'm, I'm sure you know. Remember, he was Moondoggy and, sure. you know. Oh, uh, yes. Jimmy yes. Singer. <clears throat> Real good buddy of mine. The only reason I bring his name up is that, we both went to this restaurant two nights in a row together, and then he got it and I got it. You know, we both got it at the same time. Right. But he stayed home and survived his, and I was mm. home. I was, you know, I called the doctor and said, okay, I just tested positive. And he said, okay, we'll take the Tylenol and watch your temperature and, and, uh, and uh, you know, drink a lot of liquids. And, and he said, in about 10 days, the COVID will leave your system. And 10 days went by, and I said, you know, I'm not feeling any better. But <clears throat> 14 days went by, and I was sick. I called him, I said, Doc, there's something wrong with me. And he said, okay, let's get you in Cedar sinai Hospital. So I went there, and um, and five days later, they released me, and I'm, I'm doing terrific now. I really am. And, you know, it's, it's just, I, I hate saying this, but I'm kind of glad now that this monkey is off my back, that I got the COVID, and now I have the antibodies, and I'm COVID-free. Mm-hmm. And, and they're telling me, there's there's a, a thing on the internet that said there's only three people in the world that had a reoccurrence, one from the Netherlands, one from Belgium, and one from Hong Kong, and they can't even concur that they were reoccurrences. So the chances of it coming back are slim and, and you know, very slim. You know. 
Well, we're very sorry that you hadn't had to go through it, but uh, if there's a bright side to the story, you just you just touched on it. You don't have to worry about it anymore. Um, just a, another question about it. Um, so, what did you what did you feel like? Were you just knocked out? Uh, just you know, tired, lethargic. Uh, how did the fever affect you and all that? No, I didn't have any of those kind of you know. Maybe because my energy is high, anyhow. You know, I'm, I'm you know, as you know, Howard, you've been around. Yes, <laughs> I, I got a lot of energy, but. Um, sometimes too much energy, I think, but I never thought that lethargic thing. What happened was I woke up, I played golf with my buddies on a Sunday and I woke up the next day and my head hurt so bad. My head, my back and my, I just real bad headaches. And I said, I must've pulled a muscle in my neck or something. And then the next day it was the same kind of the achy kind of stuff, you know, and then the temperature came, but, but then when, when, by the time I was ready to go to hospital, I can't even describe to you how bad I felt. I can't, it, 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 when I got to the hospital and they quarantined me, you know, the, the, and the doctor, they were really great. Cedar Sinai, they did this with the best. They just, they put me on a steroid that caused me to wake up in the middle of the night four times a night, had to change my nightgown because it was sopping wet, not, not sweaty. I mean, sopping wet from the steroid. But I laid there the second day and I never, I felt so awful. I said, I can't do this. I got up and I would walk to the door and to the bathroom, which was 25 steps. I got up and I'd do that 10 to 12 times a day. Get up and I felt like I was physically exercising. Then I went into the bathroom and it, Howard, I think we talked about this before, Steve, that while I'm a stand-up comedian, I'm a motivation speaker, I speak on four subjects, perception, visualization, self-talk, and develop a sense of humor. So I, I have these motivation classes that I give. Uh -huh. I would go to the, after I walked to the door 25 times, I would go in the bathroom, I'd look in the mirror and I'd say day by day in every way I'm getting better and better day by day in every way I'm getting better and better. Yeah. I'd, I'd emphasize, uh, I took my acting skills and I'd emphasize a, a different word each time day by day in every way I'm getting better and better, you know, and then I did, I feel happy. I feel healthy. I feel terrific. I did that five times. Then I'd say, my mind is constantly in tune with the positive. It is bright, cheerful, enthusiastic, and full of good, positive thoughts and ideas. I had five mantras that I'd do five times. So I felt like I was fighting back physically and mentally. Mm -hmm. And and you know, and then five days later, they released me. So uh, you know, in answer to your question, it's hard to describe how bad I felt, but I, it's, it's easy to describe how great I feel right now. Well, you know, you, you you never. I have not had any kind of firsthand um, commentary like this. This is uh, have you, Howard? I I don't know anybody personally uh, who's who's had the virus and could describe to me the feeling. So um, no, I it, haven't. It, it, it's not uncommon from what I have read from time to time, but it's got to be scary as hell, Tom. I'm sure to go through that. Uh, and at the same time, 180 degrees, uh, a different feeling to overcome it. So I'm so glad that you're in good health now and you're feeling good and ready to put up the, with the nonsense that we're about to throw your way. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, that's, I had to get in shape for that. I, I worked out with the weights this morning. You know, I shadow boxed. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> Did you have to give yourself the motivational talk again? Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know what? Everybody, everybody's always got these stories, Tom. I'm always notorious with coming up with a story, but but you mentioned um, James Darren. And when I, I grew up in Philadelphia, and I'll never forget, it had to have been like 1980 or something. And a buddy of mine and I were crossing the street like at 8th and Market and coming in the opposite direction with some of his buddies was James Darren. And we thought we would have a fit. <laughs> that, I think that was the first celebrity that I had ever uh, come across. And he was a guy who just lived in South Philly. And went on to be a big star. So he was like, you know, he was one of our guys in, in terms of Philadelphia that, that made it. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that he's doing well and that he's a friend of yours because uh, that sort of takes me back in time. And, and it's a good memory. Well, you know, the interesting thing, by the way, James Aaron, I thought 
I, I, I tell him that she blushes, but I say, two of the handsomest guys I ever saw on screen were Tony Curtis and James Darren on, on a movie <laughs> yeah. screen. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and I, I, Jimmy and I toured together. You know, he's a singer. He had several hit records and everything. Yeah. We yeah. worked the Playboy circuit together. Uh, and and we, we worked at Playboy Clubs, the Lake Geneva and, um, and Great Gorge. The resorts, and after the show, we'd go somewhere to have a bite to eat, and the bunnies would come up, and they would say, Hi, Tom, you're very funny tonight. James, you are wonderful. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but when I came out here to Hollywood, I gravitated to... I'm a street guy. I don't have a degree from academia. I got a doctorate yeah, from the yeah. streets. I'm a, I'm a street guy. I'm a hangout guy. Hollywood celebrities bore the hell out of me. They bore me. Most of them are prima donnas, mm -hmm. spoiled brats who think that if they have two appearances on the sitcom, you got to roll the red carpet out for them. And, and, and they think that, that most of them act like, uh, well, you know, you, you should act like a star and act yeah. offended when people want your autograph and you're trying to eat, you know, that kind of stuff. You know, I, yeah. I just was so bored by that kind of behavior that I gravitated more to guys like me that grew up on the streets. And, you know, I grew up in Harvey, you know, in Southside of Chicago. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so Frankie Avalon and I became buddies. And then James Darren and I became buddies. Mm -hmm. And then Frankie Valley. And then we formed a group, a fun group. It was called the IMO, called Italian Men Only. You know, it was jokingly. And it would be Frankie Valley, uh, Dennis Farina, uh, Dennis Franz, uh, Joe Montaigne, uh, 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 Frankie Avalon, James Darren, Frankie Valley, Joe Pesci, uh, Chad wow. Commentary when he was in town. These guys and and Dennis Franz, and then we made Smokey Robinson an honorary Sicilian, and you know we we do things. <laughs> Mike Connors, the guy from Mannix. Well, we would all go to a restaurant, uh, an Italian restaurant, in a neighborhood in in the back room or upstairs, and we just hang out. They bring their wives or their girlfriends. And it'd be like Sunday dinner in an Italian family's home, and we'd tell them stories. I mean, so those are the kind of people that I that I wanted to be around what, what I call hangout people, you know, neighborhood people. Got people. They were sure. from New Jersey, from Philadelphia, sure. Chicago, but we were all neighborhood guys. Yeah. And that's yeah. the kind of people. And, and we had girls, too. I shouldn't say Linda Mancuso from Chicago. She was one of the girls. And she, you know, we, we all hung out and, and just had a great time, you know. The, the thing and, that uh, I think uh, is so, so incredible, Tom, is that you just described that world of friendship out there uh, while you're a, a growing entertainer and, and, and making it. And at the same time, you got this fabulous history with the comedy store, with some of these acts that are unbelievable talents. And, and all you guys are, are, are trying to make it, supporting each other and uh, in the same circumstances but in, in a different venue, you know, uh, some of the names of the people are, are fantastic. Uh, you were there in the early days of, of Leno and Letterman and others, right? I'd be on stage every night at the comedy show. First of all, <clears throat> after the comedy team stood up, Tim Reed and I stood up, uh, you know, as you know, we were America's first black and white comedy team mm -hmm. and history shows were the last. After six years, the team stood up. I got a wife and three kids in Chicago. I get out to the West Coast. I'm going to try to make it out here. And I thought I could, could you know, I thought I'd get on in a, in a week or two and, and just be on my way. I didn't know that I have to wait like a month. Uh, a girl that I used to help get gigs, um, a singer named Pat Hollis, let me uh, stay at her home. She house at her home. She was on the road. <clears throat> but when she came back, she said, you can't stay here. My boyfriend is very, very jealous. And you and all this, by the way, is in my book. Uh, still standing. Let me give you a cheap plug. You can get it on Amazon.com. It'll be at your house in two days. Okay, that's the last plug. But all those stories are in a book that I have out now. Uh -huh. you know, uh, it's still standing. My journey from streets and saloons to the stage and Sinatra. But at this time, I get out there. Now it's, it, it, I, I had no place to go. And she said, you can't stay here. My boyfriend is insanely jealous. I end up sleeping in an old Nash Rambler that was up on blocks uh, where the front seat came down. And I stayed in that car, and, I, and my, meanwhile, and while I was house-sitting there, my wife wrote me a Dear John saying, this is your business, your, your life, not mine. I'm never going to move to California. Mm. I wish you the best, but, you know, when I married you, you weren't in show business, and, and I didn't want this kind of life. We later got back together, but now the whole world's coming down on me. And I'm hitchhiking to the comedy store every night, begging to work for free. <clears throat> but I finally got on. I passed the audition with the woman that owned the comedy store, Mitchy Shore, which the pressure to that was almost as heavy as the pressure of auditioning for your first Tonight Show, because if Mitchy Shore, at those days, there was no improvisation out here. There was no laugh factory. So the only game in town was, was the comedy store, and it was on Sunset Boulevard, and every night 
every talent coordinator, all the buyers, all the <clears throat> casting people went to the comedy store looking for new talent. So if Mitchie turned you down and said, you're not funny, it was back home to Harvey or Toledo or wherever you were from. So that pressure, when I did five minutes in front of her, was enormous. But I got by. She liked me. And, and, and so now I'm on a regular schedule. And soon I'm working with all these unknown comedians, David Letterman, Jay Leno, Robin Williams, uh, Gallagher, Michael Keaton. Uh, the girl waiting tables was Deborah Winger, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I don't know whatever happened to all them, but I'm on your show right now. <laughs> Well, it's all we, downhill from here, pal. It is. Before we uh, brought you on, Tom, we were talking about the Showtime series, The Comedy Store. It's really great, and you're all over it uh, telling the stories, but all these legendary comics, and, and you worked there time after time after time. And once you got past Mitzi Shore, which was the big step, she was the gatekeeper to getting you on stage. What what did the pressure feel like then when you, what you did you do five minutes? Yeah, stage? five minutes for her. Her, well, what about then, on stage? When you got the regular schedule, you did 18 to 20 minutes, you know. Yeah, or they, she started out with everybody doing 15 minutes, and there would be, you know, like, uh, there would be no break. You know, it would be like 18, 20 comics straight in a row, and people would come in and out during the night. But the later, she put them into a, uh, a, a, a first show, a second show, and a third show, a late night show, you know, as they do now. You know, um, and each comic does 15 to 20 minutes, depending whatever time they gave you. And, and that was a, a great place to break in new material, to learn your craft, to, to uh, you know, but, but here's what I say about that. The comedy store became the, the hottest place in the country. Comedy became the rock and roll of the 70s. Mm -hmm. You better go on that stage with good material, because I used to say break in new material at Caesar's Palace, but don't break in new material at the comedy store, because you could lose a career there. You know what I mean? You, 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 yeah. Every night you went on stage, <laughs> I'm being facetious about losing a career, but you'd go on stage. These, this is the shows that we're looking for comedians. Johnny Carson, Mike Douglas, uh, Dinosaur, um, uh, uh, Merv Griffin, a rock yeah. concert, of American Bandstand, um, The Soul Train. Uh, there were so many shows in Canada. Used to, they had five, uh, three or four shows up in Canada, and they'd send all these coordinators down to bring comedians up to Canada. So every night somebody was in the audience looking for new comedians. So it was a lot of pressure, you know. So, well, when so, you got up on stage, though, Tom, I know that uh, you you had to have had a rough night at some point. And, and how I say that stand-up comedy's got to be the hardest job in the world. You know, go up there with a microphone and a light on you in front of a couple hundred people, including, you know, star makers in the industry, and be funny for 15 minutes. But, you know, there are growing pains. So how did you deal with the nights when there were crickets or there were boos? How do you how do you come back from that? Well, you get off stage and you cry a lot. You know, you go in, you, yeah. you cry and you bang your head against the wall. <laughs> mm -hmm. Now, you know what? I I when somebody said one time I was on a Phil Donahue show with some other comedians and a woman in the audience. How they used to ask questions. She said, "Did you guys ever bomb?" I said, ma'am, we trained in bombing. <laughs> we, we, I had had six years with Tim Reed, on, so I had stage presence, and I knew those ups and downs. And, and yeah. th there were, you know, Al Jolson used to say, there's no such thing as a bad audience, only a bad performer. Well, Al mm -hmm. Jolson's full of it, because I ran into a lot of bad audiences in my life. <laughs> yeah. Some nights, you know, this is a terrible analogy. Maybe it's not. But to me, stand-up comedy... It was a lot like sex. There were nights that I was really, really good, and they weren't. There were other nights they were really, really good, and I wasn't. And there were some nights we were both good at the same time. Oh, brother. When that, when that works. One of the you questions know, that I have that, that I, I, I can't imagine this combo, but how in the world did Gary Muldeer pull Deborah Winger as a girlfriend? <laughs> How did anyway, that happen? Gary Mulder is one of the funniest comedians I've ever seen. I've never seen Gary Mulder fail. And I've seen him perform a hundred times. We used to do a lot of golf tournaments together and, and a lot of shows together. I've known him. He and I were on Irv Cupsonet show in Chicago almost 50 years ago. I've been in show business 51 years, so it was about 40 nine years ago when I met him, Jack Benny was on the show with us. Irv Cupson had had a hey, show called... did you guys lose me? I can't remember what it's called. Conversation. Something like that. But anyhow... 
Uh, we, uh, uh, we, we were on the show together, and that's when I met Gary Miller. He's one of the funniest human beings I ever met. And he wasn't a bad-looking guy when he was younger. <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to mention that. That uh, a lot but of. By the way, neither you guys weren't bad looking when you were younger. <laughs> well, I, I was going to mention that uh, you know, and be nice about it. But a lot of those guys uh, didn't didn't age quite as gracefully as you did. Uh, not that uh, you know, I'm a male model at this point. But uh, you know, the business took its toll on some of them, didn't it? Well, you know, life does that to all of us, doesn't it? But also, <laughs> you know, the grind of stand-up comedy, first of all, stand-up comedy is the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. There's no describing what it's like, of material you wrote, you know, and you go out on a stage and it works. Something you wrote, something you created that day, maybe. And it works. It's the highest of highs. Opening for Frank Sinatra in front of 20,000 people. When I went out there and that material worked, when it really worked, and you hear, and you're I in the round, and they're all around you. The, game here. the people are behind you, they're on the side of you, in front of you. And when that material works and you're scoring, I can't describe you how high that is. It's the highest of highs. And when it doesn't work, it's the lowest of lows. Yeah. Wow. You know, like I said, it, it's, it's the toughest job in the world. Hey, Tom. Um, we lost Steve. Let's call him back. Okay. Let's see if this works. We had trouble getting a hold of you, too. I don't know why this thing died. Hmm. Hey, hey am, I, am I back with you guys? Hey, you're back to you. Anyhow, Howard, so I don't think he's that kind of a rat, but try to get him on the phone anyhow. If you think Steve is that bad a guy, but see if we can get him back on. Yeah, and Steve, I, well, like Steve. Tom, he I, I thinks he's it. so funny. Uh, I mean, I, let, come on. Well, let me, t- let me tell you what happened. I just got a call from Deborah Winger who told me to stop talking about her. <laughs> um, man, I guess this, you know, Tom, we're trying to make this thing happen, and Howard's at home, and I'm at home, and you're at home, and it's a miracle we could get five minutes done under, uninterrupted. <laughs> So I apologize for this dropout. I have no idea how that happened. Well, that's the fun of that's the fun of being live, isn't it? You know, there's, yes. there's a whole world of difference in show business between live performance and tape performance, and 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 and, and that's that's what I always said about the Tonight Show ring. When you walked out there, you better have your stuff together. What good is a break if you're not ready when the break comes? Because live performance, anything can happen, and that's what stand-up comedy is all about. We break that fourth wall, you know. And, and for those listening. And I hope somebody's listening, but listening. <laughs> we do too. <laughs> yeah, Steve even even off, I, I wasn't listening, the... right? <laughs> Steve hung up on his Tom. <laughs> when when you mentioned fourth wall, uh, you know, for those listening who do not know what I'm talking about, in acting, when you go out on stage, you there's an imaginary wall behind you, on both sides of you, and in front of you. That fourth wall they call that that blocks you from the audience. And when you're an actor on stage, so you can hold um, your, your your wife's head in your arms and sob and cry <clears throat> because there's a fourth wall. But in stand-up comedy, we break that fourth wall down. We have to walk yeah. out, and you're live. And so, live performing, anything can happen, and you got to learn the role with it. Just like Howard and I tried to survive after Steve, you know. I know it was hard, fellas. I know it was hard, fellas. You know, Tom, I had mentioned to Howard that there was an occasion where. I I emceed a comedy night at, at, at a comedy club. This was years ago. I had the, uh, uh, what was on my side is that the audience recognized me. They knew I was the weather guy on TV, so they gave me a break. I wasn't worried about it. I had a little material to work with, but what I noticed was how there might have been 12 comics on the bill and they all behave differently before they hit the stage. Some guys wanted to just be alone. Other guys were pacing back and forth like a lion. There were some folks you could talk to and boom, they hit the stage and it's a totally unrelated thing that was part of the conversation five minutes ago. Do you prep in a certain way before you go on? I mean, how do you get, how do you get ready? Years ago, I did. After now, it's if, this is my fifty first year, fifty first year in show business. So now mm-hmm. it's second nature to me. Um, what I like to do if I'm breaking a new material, <clears throat> I want to be alone for like five minutes, ten minutes before I go on. I'll be going over my notes, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, and so that that's the way I prepare. But <clears throat> I teach classes to young comedians called The Joy of Stand-Up Comedy and How to Get There. And in it, I teach them joke structure and things like that and and, and, and uh, how to work on my technique and things. You know, I, I, I help them along the way. But the one thing I tell them always, if you don't remember anything I say, I say, I write on the blackboard, it's conversation, not presentation. 
Is it your act? You damn right it's your act. It's your job to make it look like it's not an act. So when you walk out on that stage, it would be like I'd, I'd, I'd say to you, uh, Steve, um, you know, uh, you know, if your wife said to you, Steve, there's 22 people in our living room and I don't have dinner ready at all. Oh, my God. And it's going to be about 20 minutes. Say, go out there, Steve. Go out there and tell them. Tell them about when you were a weatherman. Tell them about when you were growing up. Tell them about your mom and yeah. dad. Those stories you tell us. Now, you walk out into the living room and you're saying dinner will be ready in a few minutes. Yeah. But I got to tell you. When I was working, at, and, and, and you start your conversation, uh -huh. Uh -huh. I tell comedians, this is the way you approach the stage every night. They're not, we're not in their house. They're in our house. If they could do what we do, they'd be up here doing it. They can't. That's why they're out there. So don't ever walk into any club and pretend that we're in their territory. Put yourself in a frame of mind. This is our house. You know, and, and, and yeah. you're starting a conversation. Is it your act? Yes, but you've got to make it look like it's not an act. And, and, uh, and, you know, so that's how I approach yeah, it every yeah. night. Like I'm walking into my living room, even when I worked at Caesar's palace and when I opened for Frank Sinatra, I always pretend they're in our house. It's yeah. our house. You know, it's not, cause if you think it's their house, you feel like you're invading their territory and oh my God, I hope they like it. I hope they like it. Wait a minute. We invited you here in our house. You know, mm -hmm. welcome. I, I, I remember that. I remember that line Dean Martin used to throw out, Hey, how'd all these people get in my room? <laughs> he, he, had an, he had another great line. They would say, ladies and gentlemen in Vegas, when you watch me, I worked with Dean a few times and, and, oh, and I played golf with him too and I enjoyed him. He, and I'm still friends with his children. I introduced his wife, Gail, to her now husband, which is Mike Downey, who used yes. to write for the Chicago yes. Tribune. You know, so I, I, but yes. you know, the yeah. I love the Martin family, but I used to love in Vegas. The lights would go down low and they'd go, you know, usually they say, ladies and gentlemen, direct from um, Venezuela or direct from the, the hot spot of it or whatever it was. They'd say to Dean, they, Dean's in the introduction was, ladies and gentlemen, direct from the bar. And then <laughs> Dean Martin and Dean, Dean would walk out on stage. He would start to sing, you know, like, uh, welcome to my world. Won't you come on in? And he look at the piano player and he said, "How long have I been out here?" <laughs> <laughs> but, oh, I, but 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 like you said, very very conversational. I mean, his whole act was like it made you feel like he was talking to you, and there was some sort yeah. of uh, uh, informality about it all, which yeah. is what you and do too. It, it, but it comes with time. It wasn't that way in the beginning. You know, I, I tell young comedians and they're saying, you know, I'm, I'm so scared before I go up. I'm so nervous. And public speakers that I talk to, you know, I'm so nervous before I go up. I, when I, I was just like you, when I had to go on stage on a Friday, when I was brand new on Monday, I was fretting. And mm -hmm. I, but I began to take these courses, these exercises that I teach, you know, and, and I began to apply them. One was from the book, The Power of Your Subconscious Mind by Joseph Murphy. Uh, the, whatever the mind can see and believe, it will achieve. So part of my classroom lecture is, on, uh, I think we just lost Steve again, didn't we? Yeah, no, no, no I'm here. I I'm hope here. so. That was just my oh, heart okay. beating. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, I, 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 you know, when, when uh, again, the, whatever the mind can see and believe, it will achieve. So hmm. most people when they're thinking about they're gonna, a public speaker or something, gee, I gotta speak Friday or Saturday, they begin to picture in their mind them not doing well. What if this happens? What if that doesn't? And what if, what if this doesn't get over? And their hands start to sweat and your heart starts to pound and you're not even there yet. Why? Because when you send that picture to your subconscious mind, it becomes a reality. It act, the subconscious mind does not know the difference between truth or fiction. It only knows what you program into it, and it does that by images. Whatever the mind can see and believe, it will also achieve. So you start seeing yourself at that podium or on that stage not doing well, and your heart starts reacting. I say cancel, cancel, cancel. And I would see myself out there relaxed, and calm and enjoying every moment of it, having a fun time, whatever the mind can see and believe it will achieve. You know, so I would always change the image and put it into a positive image. And then I began to believe the moment I walk out there, when that light hits me, a calm will come over my whole body and I'll become conversational. You know, I would think those kind of thoughts. So, so you prepare yourself positively rather than negatively. Again, I don't want to elaborate too much on this, but whatever the mind can see and believe it will achieve was written thousands of years ago. It's biblical in nature. So when you're saying, geez, what was that guy's name? What was his name? Doggone it, what was his name? Two days later, you say, give me a cup of coffee. Howard Sudbury. 
Where did it come from? Mm -hmm. It came from once you gave the subconscious mind a problem with an image, you know, where the mind can see and believe. You know, once yeah. you see it and believe it, then, then all those little cells start searching to find an answer to that, you know, and make it become a reality. That's really cool to hear that approach because it fits uh, not only for stand-up comics, as you said, but for uh, um, anybody that has to speak in front of a group. If you have to give a presentation at work, uh, you you know, if you take that approach, I think it's going to make you all that much better. Hey, guys, don't hang up. Neither one of you. Who would uh, dare hang up? Who would dare hang up at this break. point? On back to you. And this if you is like riveting. back to you, then be sure to check out some of the other programs on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network, like Free Kicks, Rick Kemper and Adam Howarth, the director of coaching for the Illinois Youth Soccer Association, discuss all the latest international, national, and local soccer news. Go to opishows.com or wherever you find podcasts. Just search for Radio Misfits. And more with Tom Dreesen. After this, you know, I was uh, telling my kids the other day that uh, I never thought the 90s had a look, but you look at pictures of ourselves, who oh boy, the 90s really does have a look, doesn't it? If I would have known what was going to happen to my hair, <laughs> I wouldn't have gone through the mullet years. Is that your final haircut was the mullet? Yeah, well, the comb over, is that a haircut? That counts. Yeah, all right. Well, then no. But okay, that's good. It was the last official one. Did you ever have the the mullet in the back and the bald on top at the same time? No. no you mean the Joe Dirt? Yeah. No, that, I never, that I never went been, Joe Dirt. That would have been a great look. Listen to <laughs> Minutia Men on Spotify, opishows.com, Amazon, or wherever you find podcast just search for radio misfits if you missed los anno los anno or los los anno and friends here's what you missed i'm rokan do you like to talk about <laughs> politics i actually don't politics the problem is I'm, i have no problem discussing politics i just don't like uh, discussing it from that left-right paradigm, the way that that talk radio does it, right? You know, where most of the, either you know the hosts are either you know very far to the right or very far to the left. Right. You know, and most of them are very far to the right. And I grew up in this business, so I know what the trick is. And this is before talk radio was actually a political force in the 1980s. Yeah. I would say that two thirds of the conservative talk shows in America don't believe anything that they're saying. Yeah. They're doing it solely to agitate so they can get phone calls. Right. There's a couple things that worry me about the future. I'm, I, this is, I'm getting to be an old man because it's like, I, all of a sudden, you know, back in my day, we didn't have Armenian girls having sex with black guys. You know, like, what? What are they talking about? You know, I don't know. And this is not against, you know, the uh, Republicans or conservative philosophy because I, I happen to vote Republican more than I do Democrat, but I, I vote for both. Yeah. Uh, but I'm a centrist. I could yeah. see both sides and I decide who's, who's got the better idea at that moment right. that I think is going to be better for the future. It's not always the same thing. It's not always right. some sort of dogma. The left dogma doesn't make any sense to me, and no. most of the right stuff doesn't make any right. sense to me. Well, I've always said MSNBC and Fox News, neither of them are news channels. They're no, entertainment no, no. channels. Oh, and it's that's, all entertainment. But people perceive it because they put the label news on it and present it like news. Right. And it's like, no, it's just talking points. The Federal Trade Commission should do something about that. It is completely entertaining. And I've worked in cable news. Yeah. And I use that term loosely. Yeah, uh, yeah. I worked with Glenn Beck. I know. Do you think God. that Glenn Beck oh my gosh. has any... I was his fill-in when he was at CNN. Yeah. To bring this around full circle, he was a morning DJ in Phoenix. Okay. Glenn yeah. is a showman. I mean, he's he, he didn't get in this for the right. politics of it. Right, right. I think Rush truly believes what he says. Really? I do. I yeah. always thought of him as more of an entertainer uh -uh. than anything. No, wow. I think he really believes it. Mm. And he's very he's entertaining at doing it. He's yeah. very entertaining at doing and it. And he could do it without calls. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. But that's yeah. the point. Yeah, that's what I'm very saying. few guys can do that. Right. There's everybody in conservative talk radio has a first and last name. That's just like the same thing. Hugh Hewitt. <laughs> and uh, like Lou Lewis. And there's guys, I mean, there, literally, there are guys that, yeah. you know, Tom Thompson. It's like, really? <laughs> you think we're that stupid that we can't remember your name? That you have to name yourself twice? <laughs> Assholes. Radio Misfits. Get more. Lausano and Friends. Lausano. Now on Lausano.com. Good luck trying to spell Lausano or whatever it's called. We are back. This is Back to You with Howard Sudbury and Steve Baskerville. Steve, we're having a lot of fun talking to our guest, comedian Tom Dreesen. 
you know, Tom uh, Dreesen is so multifaceted. You know, he does great work on the stage. He can also give you some great advice and tips if you've got to be out there. Tom, here's one thing that's happened to me before, and I always let it play with my head, and I'm wondering how you get around it. It, uh, supposing I have to emcee something, maybe I have to uh, give a little speech or whatever. I look down in the first row and I see a guy frowning. Now, if I see one guy frowning, that's going to be in my head. Uh, there, there could be, he could be surrounded by smiling faces. How do you deal? And who knows what he's thinking about? But how do you deal with that? I mean, <laughs> you know what I mean? You could be frightened by something you see in the audience that that will stick in your head and sort of ruin whatever you're trying to do. How do you work around that? Should you be staring at the audience? Should I just look straight ahead and at the clock on the wall? Look, look at the top of their heads, you know, and they don't know that you're not looking them straight in the eye, you know, look at the top of their heads. You don't have to, you know, now, unless you're going to go do audience work, like where you from kind of stuff, you know, uh, unless it's part of one of your bits that you're doing, but, but Pat, you, you know, the, 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 I can't tell you. Yeah, first of all, let me tell you this. If there's 300 people in the room, 300 people in the room, and at the end of your performance, they give you a standing ovation. 240 of them really believe you deserve a standing ovation. 30 of them got up because everybody else was standing, and the other 20 wanted to get stood up because they wanted to get the hell out of there. You know, <laughs> so... Sammy Davis Jr. had a sign hanging in his dressing room that he couldn't pay heed to, but it said, I don't know the meaning of success, but I do know the meaning of failure. It's when I try to make everybody love me. You know, you can't make everybody love you if you're a bartender, a bricklayer, a truck driver, and especially as a performer. So to focus on that one guy who's frowning is, you know, is it's it's fruitless. You know, you move past them and even smile. If he's frowning, you smile at him. Look at him and say, hey, it's it's great to see you again. You know, like you will wonder, how the hell? I don't know him. What's he talking about? Snap him out of it. Yeah, Yeah. whatever. And then then you move on. You know, again, sometimes he might be frowning because he's thinking, I got a shirt just like that. Where did I get that shirt at? You know, (laughs) one time in. Yeah. And one time in acting class, the teacher, uh, I studied in acting in Chicago with a a, a married couple called Madeline and and, uh, Joe Young. And Joe Young was this great teacher. And he said, I'm going to I want you to try to guess the class what I'm thinking. And, And for the next three minutes and we watched his face and the contortions on his face. And he was looking at the wall and the pain and everybody, when he got done after three minutes, he said, what do you think I was thinking? And one guy said, one of the most horrible things that maybe ever happened in your life. And then, and then and another person said, my God, was it, was it, you know, when, when did you go through a divorce or did you lose a child? I mean, all these things. And what he was thinking was whether he should take the wallpaper off and clean it off the wall and paint, or whether he should just leave the wallpaper on. But, he, <laughs> but so his frown, I mean, you, you know, it, it had, yeah. he, he was trying, it was getting the difference between method and technique acting, you know, not to bore, but I'll give you a quick funny story for those actors who are listening to the show. Uh, you know, we all know about the, the, the difference between method and technique. That's Boleslavsky and Stanislavsky. M- m- how you get to a certain emotion. Some people use a technique and some people use, uh, you know, uh, uh, some kind of emotion from their past. Uh, the, the story is a Russian actor was being interviewed after being on Broadway for eight months. And the guy was interviewing me. He said, you know, there's a part in the play, Ivan, that, Every, every night there's a part in the play where you hold your brother's head in your arms in the play and, and, and your brother's dying and a tear runs down your left eye and your right eye like clockwork every single night. How do you possibly do that? He said, when I was a little boy, I had a dog named Buki and back in Russia and the dog, dog get hit by truck and he died. And, and every night I hold my brother's head in my arms in the play. I think of my little Buki and I cry. And if that doesn't work, I pull a hair out of my nose. We've talked about that before on the show, uh, Tom. We've had acting coaches on, and uh, I've taken some lessons, and so has Steve. And uh, to me, that's got to be one of the toughest things to do is to be able to summon emotion like that and to, and to cry. It's much easier to laugh in front of an audience or on camera than it is to cry. 
You know, I, that's interesting you say that. I, I, one, of, one of my, when I get finished with my motivation uh, talks, my last subject is develop a sense of humor. And I teach them, I say to them, you know, you know that my prescription for you when I leave them, I say, is I want you to laugh out loud 10 times a day. Now, in acting classes, we had to cry. We had to learn how to cry, how, how you get there. And we also had to learn how to laugh. You know, a lot of people cannot laugh. So I would practice in front of you. I'd go, ha, 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 ha. You know, I started laughing. And I said, I do that at home sometimes. If my neighbors saw me, they'd throw a net over me. You know, but, you know, sometimes I have an older brother who could not laugh like that. He, he would, you know, he would underneath, but he couldn't laugh out loud. It just wasn't in his, in his nature, I guess. Sometimes people cry easier than that but both those emotions are very close and very very important it's okay to cry it's okay to become overcome with emotion of something that moves you it's, it's also healthy for you to cry and it's healthy for you to laugh and sometimes you have to teach yourself how to do both of those you know we had an exercise in class that this Joe Young, he taught an exercise that was made you so vulnerable that there were people who actually quit the acting class because they didn't want to go through that exercise but he would take you through an exercise where you would, and he would not let you off the hook until you got, he could see you getting vulnerable in your eyes. It was a real, it was a real hairy exercise, but I have to tell you, I would do that sometimes and then leave the acting class and go to a comedy club and was, was, was far more effective that night, far more being me. When, when you're a stand-up comedian, when you start out, you start doing an impression of another comedian that you like, because you know that worked. If you're, if you're a fan of George Carlin, if you're a fan of Jack, Johnny Carson. So you go up and you're doing your material, but kind of an impression of a comedian you like. Then, as you're on stage, at three or four or five, five or six times, it might be a night that you let a little bit of you out. And if it doesn't get laugh, you go back into doing this impression of a comedian. But one night you let a little bit of you out and it gets a laugh, then you let a little bit more of you out and pretty soon you become you on stage. Yeah. And that's when you start to grow as a comedian, when you become... You, know, you, Tom Dreesen, Howard Sudbury, see, you, you become you telling those stories. A lot of comedians have a stage persona, you know, and other people are a continuation of themselves. I am that continuation of themselves. The way I'm talking to you right now is the same way I talk when I go out on stage. But I know other comedians that are effective. The, David Letterman, painfully shy off stage, painfully. But when he went on stage at night in the shows, he became this ebullient type energetic guy he had a stage persona you know a johnny carson same way johnny carson was a very shy introverted guy but when he walked through that curtain every night he became this effervescent you know personality you know so you know but whatever works for you but the, the candid camera had the greatest line of them all that i tell young comedians when they say what should i do i'm going on this show what should I, do? I said candid camera had a great line caught in the act of being yourself yeah <laughs> by the way how i how i wrote the book Still standing again, cheap plug. My journey from streets and saloons to the stage and center on Amazon.com. Okay, that was my second cheap plug. But I journaled when I was on the road. When I first started touring in show business, and even with Tim, sometimes something very funny would happen or something poignant, and I'd go write that down because I didn't want to forget this moment. And I accumulated those stories through the years, and then. Uh, you know, a, a while back, uh, a couple of years ago, these two guys, Darren Grubb and Johnny Russo, called me and said, hey, we want to write a book about your life. We've got to deal with Postal uh, uh, Press, and we want to write a book about, we think your life is interesting, and we'd like to write it. I said, guys, I already wrote it. You know, I already, I've got all these stories, chapter one, chapter two. And so I said, yes, I would love to have you help me with the narration and stuff, but I, I want every word to be mine because I don't want to ever say someone come up to me and say, gee, I read your book and you said, and I said, no, I didn't say that. You know, well, it's your book. You must have said, you know. Sure. So I, I wanted to be my words and they did that well for me. But I had all these, in answer to your question, I don't journal every night or anything like that. But if something very interesting or exciting or poignant happens, then I, I, I immediately write it down. And especially if it's something I can use in comedy, in my act, or in my motivation speeches, you know. Hey, where do we, just so Steve and I are clear with some little bookkeeping here, where do we send the invoice for the plugs? Uh, you know, I'll tell you what, do me a favor, send them to billycrystal.com. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. Well, I plugged it before you got on, and we're going to again. Still standing my journey from streets and saloons to the stage and Sinatra. It's Tom Dreesen, and as he said, available at Amazon.com. Tom, we're going to let you scoot. Okay, guys. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye, Tom. Oh. <laughs> Oh, that was fun, Steve. Tom just called us out for our old man, old man references. <laughs> it, it, it's a great book, I'm sure. I have not read Tom's book, but knowing his history and some of the stuff I've learned from TV, uh, it's got to be terrific. So I'm going to get oh, it. Yeah. And, well, you're uh, sure as hell watching the TV show on uh, Showtime, the comedy yeah. store with the history uh, of, of comedy. And so if this pandemic ever ends, uh, I look forward to uh, coming and sitting on the couch over there. It's going <laughs> to. Yeah. Well, okay. uh, do, you th- do you think you have a standing invitation? <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> uh, I don't have any invitation. Give- yeah. Yeah. We want to give a special thanks to Tony Lasano with mm-hmm. opishows.com. Opi is hippo spelled backwards O P P I H shows.com. This is distributed by Ed Silha with Radio Misfits. Great talk radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place. Radiomisfits.com now celebrating six years of podcasting. Radiomisfits.com. Steve, that was fun. We'll have Tom on again if he'll come. Uh, <laughs> if he agrees to come it on our looks, couch. It's more, it looks more unlikely each time he's on. It does. <laughs> yeah. No, no. He's terrific. I got to go right now and work on my material. I'm inspired. Okay, so, well, I'm inspired as well. Uh, All yes. right. Okay. Well, we'll talk to that's back to you for this time. And I'll talk we'll to you soon. We'll see you next Steve. time. Until later. Peace. Peace out. This OPI podcast was recorded at an earlier date. Some material may be outdated and or mentioned under different circumstances. Consult your local health authorities for the latest on COVID-19. The proceeding was a presentation of OPI Productions. Find our other great shows wherever you find podcasts, including opishows.com. Thank you. This has been a presentation of Opie Productions. Tony, can you shut up? I'm Sam. I'm Kimmy. And it's Tommy. And on this week's episode of And Friends, we actually have something to shove in our mouth. Can I open the box? The box is really cool. It's like a little coffin. We can open the boxes, all right? I'm opening. I don't I don't even want to open the box. Why is this wrapped like a Christmas gift? Wait, what the f- is this? Oh, hell. What is this? No. Oh. No, 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 Holy. No. I, I have some precautions for this, all right? What do you mean you have precautions? No, 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 What no. did you send me? The Reaper shows no mercy. <laughs> There's a warning on the back. Oh. Right? Oh, my God, the inside. Oh. What is this? Yeah, this is serious. You're trying to kill me. No, no, no. Oh, look, another warning on the bottom. It says, it hurts like hell. Well, we have a week to think about whether we want to eat it. <laughs> I, I need some time. Yeah, I need, I need some time. I'm, I'm scared. I'm all for it if you guys are. Here's the thing. If we do this, this is like the whole show. I think it's a great idea. This is legitimately terrifying. I feel like Ralph from The Simpsons saying, ha, I'm in danger. <laughs> this is going to kill me. All right, tune in next week to possibly see all of us die. Listen to Anne Friends on Spotify, Opie Shows. Or wherever you find podcasts. Just search for Radio Misfits. What do you get when you hear a celebrity minutiaman interview, Dave? Rick, think of Dan Rather and Bill Maher having a kid. (laughs) Is that right? Yeah. So you'll get minutia. Right. What does a Damone from Fast Times and Ridgemont High really think about the movie? Only one place to find out, and that's Celebrity Minutiaman Interview, a Tony Lasano podcast. Go to opishows.com or wherever you find podcasts. Just search for Radio Misfits. Is it over? Yeah.